Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts. I'm your Bible teacher today, and I am so glad to bring to you a brand new study through the book of 2 Chronicles. We're talking about the kings of the Old Testament, even more specific, the kings of Judah. Friends, these are the kings of the house of David. These are the kings that lead us to the very coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a thrilling study we're going to have. Well, today we are going to be introduced to who is actually the son of King Solomon and the grandson of King David himself. His name is King Rehoboam. Unfortunately, Rehoboam represents to us a life that did not set his heart to follow God. Friends, we're going to learn many principles today. We're going to learn what it is to reject wise counsel and the foolishness that that brings, the harm that that brings. And we are ultimately going to see how you and I must make the choice. We need to set our hearts to follow God. Well, I'm glad you're with me for this study. I hope you'll be with me through each sermon of this fascinating study called the Kings of the Old Testament. If they speak into your life, oh, I'd love to to hear from listeners. Nothing thrills me more than when I get an email from someone who tells me where they're listening from and what the Lord is doing in their life and how I can pray for them. Why don't you email me today? My email is so simple. It's Pastor Chad Roberts at gmail.com. All one word, all lowercase, Pastor Chad Roberts at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you today. Well, let's get to God's Word, Second Chronicles, chapter 10 to chapter 12, the life of Rehoboam. What is interesting about Rehoboam is that he is the son of Solomon. Most everybody knows about King Solomon. He is the grandson of King David himself. What a lineage. If you know a little bit about Israel's history, and Israel is so fascinating because the Jewish people are the only people of the entire earth who have a recorded past, they have a recorded present. We know what's happening with Israel right now. And they have a recorded future. If you want to know more, go to our new website, russiasendagame.com. Israel is the only people who have a recorded past, a recorded present, and a recorded future. And if you know a little bit about their past, you know that they are comprised of 12 tribes. You know that they, God alone, oversaw the country. But then they looked around and they began to say, God, we want to be like every other nation. Every other nation has a king, and we desire a king. And they went through the time of the judges, and Samuel was both prophet and priest to them, and during Samuel's Latter years, Israel said, we want a king. And Israel chose for herself Saul. Remember the attributes of Saul? Not character, but his height and his looks. Man looks on the outside, right? And Saul ended up being a disaster. 
So God chose the next king, and who did he choose? A shepherd boy named David. Ruddy, not much to him. The boy just wrote poetry, hung out with sheep. But oh, what a mighty man he was. Why? Because he was a man after what? God's own heart. And so Saul is the first king of Israel. David is the second king of Israel. And Saul had nothing more than tribes. But David turned 12 tribes into a true empire. And then comes his son, Solomon. Anybody remember who Solomon's mother was? Boy, you guys know your Bible. Oh, I like that. Bathsheba. And you remember who Bathsheba was? She's the one David got in so much trouble for, right? He sees her bathing. He should have been on the battlefield. He was not in the battle. He was back at his palace. He sleeps with her, has an affair. Now she's pregnant. And what is the king going to do? He brings her husband home. He thinks, oh, we'll cover it up. Nobody will ever know. The man is so loyal to King David, he would not even go be with his wife. He slept at David's door. And you know what David did? A man after God's own heart sent him to the front lines of battle that he might be killed. Wicked. Wicked. And if you know the story, the first child of Bathsheba and David do not, does not survive. Very painful, very hurtful to David. He says, the child cannot come back to me, but I can one day go to the child. And he prays the most amazing prayer in Scripture. And he goes, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Cleanse me. Rejoice to me restore to me the joy of my salvation. And David just, David really was a man after God's own heart. And you know what I love about the story is, even times that we blow it so bad, even times that it feels like our choices and the consequences of those choices feel irreparable, let me assure you what the Bible teaches. Where sin abounds, grace will much more abound. Amen. And you know what God chose as part of the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ? Bathsheba and Solomon. So who takes the throne at the death of Solomon? The son, the second son of Bathsheba and Solomon. Rehoboam. And now Rehoboam is going to be right in the family lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Isn't that something else? You know what that tells us? God has grace for our sins. God has grace for the most grievous things you and I do in life. God's grace is still even greater than all of that. And so now here Rehoboam is going to take the throne in chapter 10 of 2 Chronicles. If you want to take a bit of notes, this will help you. To understand this section of Israel's history... First and second Kings covers many of the same people as first and second Chronicles. So what's the difference? First and second Kings is almost like a journal. It is, oh, put it this way. It is a historical perspective. To me, what makes Chronicles so special 
is yes, it's going to touch much of the history of First and Second Kings, but what First and Second Chronicles gives us is God's perspective. We get a heavenly perspective of these kings and their kingship and the way they ruled and the decisions that they made. And when we get heaven's perspective, then we can truly apply that to our everyday life. And so what we're going to do throughout our study is going to focus solely on Second Chronicles. So we're going to study the divine perspective. And what's interesting about 2 Chronicles is under Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, the grandson of King David, the kingdom is going to split. There's going to be a civil war. There's going to be a north kingdom and there's going to be a south kingdom. Okay? And what we're going to follow through 2 Chronicles is the south kingdom, what's called Judah. There are 19 kings that ruled Judah, and this goes from Rehoboam all the way to the Babylonian captivity under King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, why is all that history important? You may say, Chad, I have no interest in that. Well, what it will do, it helps you connect the dots in the rest of the scriptures. So I promise you, throughout our study, it's not just all going to be history. It's going to be packed full of life principles that you can apply to your everyday life. But first understand the time setting that we're in, the context that we're in. These are dangerous days for Israel. They've had Saul as king. They've had David as king. And he built the empire. You know what's interesting is David paid for everything out of David's own pocket. You know what makes me like Solomon a little less? Solomon taxed the people. I wouldn't have been a fan of Solomon. (laughs) David paid for everything out of his own pocket. All the projects David paid for, but not Solomon. Solomon taxed the people. And he overburdened the people. And this is where the kingdom begins to get shaky. So Solomon inherits the kingdom from his father David. He It's going to become shaky. He doesn't make the best decisions. Although he was the wisest man to ever live, Solomon did not end well. He didn't finish well. His life is such a great testimony to us that it's not how you start. It truly is how you finish. And now his son Rehoboam is going to secure the throne. And from here on out, friends, we're going to see some of the most Disastrous decisions as we follow the southern kingdom, this Davidic dynasty. All of these are going to be the sons, the lineage of David, which is the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ marching our way toward Matthew. Now, in chapter 10, Rehoboam is going to take the throne. Now, he's not going to do it in Jerusalem because here's one thing you need to understand about the text. Jerusalem is in the southern kingdom. Things are getting shaky, and it looks like there's a civil war coming. So what Rehoboam does is he travels north, and he's going to secure his kingship there. There's a man who is in exile, and his name is Jeroboam. And when Jeroboam hears that King Solomon had died, he now is going to come up from Egypt and he's going to come back to try to take the throne. But Rehoboam has already declared himself king. He's already taken the throne. 
And what happens is the people of the north, they come to Rehoboam. And I want you to listen in chapter 10 what they tell him. They say, Rehoboam, if you will ease the burden of Solomon, your father, if you will treat us better than your father, we will serve you all the days of our life. Now, Rehoboam is a young man, and here's his first big decision to make. He made a good decision going north to declare kingship and not doing it in Jerusalem, where it would be viewed, it would be seen as only a southern thing. But here's his first big test on what he's going to do. And the people come to him and they say, if you will ease the burden, your father, he taxed us, he enslaved us. How did they build the temple? How did he build all of these temples for all of his wives? The people. And he burdened them. He was foolish in this matter. And they come to his son and they say, if he'll treat us better, we'll serve you. We want to serve you. We want you to be king. And the young man says to them, come back in three days. And I'll make my decision. Oh, he's already too big for his britches. He goes to the old men, to the elders who were under his father, and he tells them what they say. And you know what the elders tell him? You would do well to ease their burden. They'll be loyal to you. Be good to them. Treat them, treat them with kindness. So then he goes to the young men that he grew up with. He goes to the young men who I presume were classmates of his. And he takes counsel from them. And do you know what they tell him to say? They said, you tell those people that my little finger's thicker than my father's thighs. You tell them that my father whipped you with whips. I'll whip you with scorpions. In other words, you've seen nothing yet. You don't even know what a burden is until now. Foolishly, he ignores godly counsel. Let me ask you a question today. Do you seek godly counsel in your life? It amazes me that it's Proverbs, his father's book, that said there is safety in a multitude of counselors. And yes, he went to two sets of counselors, but the problem is he chose the wrong counsel. Who do you listen to in your life? Who speaks into your life? When you have decisions to make, who do you call? Who are your go-tos? Who have you given permission to guide and influence you and speak directly into your choices and into the decisions that you're making? Oh, my friends, if any area that you ought to guard, if any area that you ought to be careful in, it is who is speaking into your ear. Oh, you ought to guard that. And here this young man, he's already gotten off on the wrong foot because when he tells Israel, when he tells the people of the north, I am going to be harder on you than my father, the kingdom splits. Saul had 12 tribes. David turns it into an empire. Solomon taxed them and put them into slavery. And what happened? Rehoboam splits it and he divides it. Why? Because he ignored Godly counsel. Let me ask you a question today. Are you ignoring godly counsel from someone right now? Do you listen to your peers? Now say amen if you're with me right now. 
Do you listen to friends and do you listen to peers or do you listen to people who's lived a little longer than you? Do you listen to people who's a few steps ahead of you spiritually? Let me tell you something. I have an arsenal of people who are way farther ahead than I am. And that doesn't always mean that they're older than me. Most of them are. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're older than me. But what it means is they're several steps ahead of me in the areas that I need help in. And boy, I love to call people like that. Just two weeks ago, I contacted a man. He's 75. I had only met him once. They'd invited me to come speak for an event. And this man is a business owner uh, in another area. And I felt like the Lord said, you need to have lunch with him. You need to, there's some things from him that you can learn. I asked him if he would take a few moments and let me take him to lunch. He graciously did. And I just sat and listened. I told him some things that decisions I have to make, some things I'm weighing, some things I'm considering, some things I don't know the right answers, I don't know the right direction. And see, he's so far ahead of me. Boy, he helped me so much. Who's in your ear? Who are you taking counsel from? Who are you listening to? Rehoboam split the kingdom. Rehoboam forever changed the history of Israel because he took poor counsel. Now, the kingdom splits between north and south. And now the north from here on out is going to be called Israel. Don't get that confused. The south is going to be called Judah. And where is Jerusalem? It's in the south. It's in Judah. That's going to be problematic for Jeroboam. Jeroboam, who was in exile, he's going to come. He's going to begin to lead the north. And Rehoboam is going to lead the south. And now here we have a civil war. Go to chapter 11 with me. Now the story is going to turn in chapter 11. Rehoboam is going to plan to attack the north. And now we have a full-on civil war. Do you think that America will ever face another civil war in our lifetime? Do you believe that we're close to a civil war now? We may not be in a civil war of weapons or guns, but let me assure you, our country right now is in a civil war of ideologies. And you can sense the division, can't you? Chronicles is such a timely book for our country. It is a timely book for where America is right now. And let me tell you what I really love about Chronicles is that the remedy for our country is found in this book, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, what does he say? I will hear them. I will heal their land. I'll forgive their sins. Oh, people, we must turn. Amen. And you go back to the last civil war of the 1860s. Pray.com invited me to do a video for the National Day of Prayer, which I was so honored to do. And as I researched, 
the National Day of Prayer, one thing that I was stunned by, preparing for this year's National Day of Prayer. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln issued a proclamation of prayer. Do you realize it was Billy Graham who recommended a National Day of Prayer observed every single year? It was written into law by Harry S. Truman. But prior to Billy Graham in 1953, America had observed over 150 national days of prayer. To say that America was birthed in prayer is not an exaggeration at all. We truly were. And do you know what Abraham Lincoln said in 1863? He issued a national proclamation that on that day, people should cease from their daily pursuits. And in their homes or in churches or somewhere private, they should pray and repent. Abraham Lincoln said that our nation has come to wealth faster and quicker than any other nation on the, in the history of the planet. And you know what Lincoln said in 1863? He said, in all of our wealth, in all of our power, we have offended the Almighty. And listen to what he said. We have forgotten God. Do you realize that in the 2021 proclamation by this administration, out of 485 words, do you realize that God was not mentioned one single time? Friends, we have forgotten God, and we have offended God. Now, they mentioned climate change, but not one mention of God. Not even one. So when national tragedies come, like what we saw in Texas, what are we to do? When even in our national day of prayer, our leaders will not even mention his name. It is an offense to the Almighty. We would do well to study Chronicles. We would do well to pay attention. Because now the kingdom has split. There's a civil war. I pray that America will not ever into another civil war. War. We are divided between red states and blue states. We are divided in our ideologies. I think we're divided basically in every area that you can be divided in. And there isn't but one remedy to heal our land. And it's 2 Chronicles 7 14. We must humble ourselves. We must repent. We must come back to God. Watch what, Israel, watch what Judah did. Instead of attacking Israel in chapter 11, now their pride is hurt, and now Rehoboam has to prove himself, and <coughs> they're going to attack. A prophet comes. A prophet is going to come, and I believe it's verse 5. He's going to give them a word that, they are not going, that they're not supposed to attack, and I'm sorry, I believe that's chapter 12. I'll, I'll get there in just a moment. Yeah. 
But a prophet comes to them, says, The Lord does not want you to attack your relatives. This is of his doing. Do not do this. It's verse 16 I want to show you in chapter 11. Look at verse 16. I want you to see what the people did. The people listened to God, says that earlier in the chapter. They chose not to attack, so they listened to God. And I want you to look what they did. They set their hearts to seek God. Oh, what a remedy. And see what Jeroboam did that was so wicked. See, Jeroboam, he knew the politics of it. He knew that if all of the Levites and all of the people from the north came down to Jerusalem to worship God as they ought to do, it would turn their hearts back toward their brothers and sisters. It would turn their hearts back toward their relatives. It would again become a unified nation. So do you know what he did? He prevented anyone from leaving the north. Well, how are you going to worship? You know what he did? He created their own religion. He ordained his own priest. He led the people into gross idolatry. Isn't that interesting? And so all of the Levites, they say, we can't do this. We can't worship God like this. No, we're going to the south. So they come down to the south, to Jerusalem. And as a people, they unite their hearts and they say, we are going to set our hearts to worship God. So you think, all right, there we go. The rest of chapter 11 Rehoboam fortifies all of their defenses. God begins to prosper the nation. Judah is accelerating. Things are going quite well. Now go to chapter 12 with me. And let me show you where many of us are living right now today. I want you to note chapter 12, verse number 1. After Rehoboam, after his kingship, the Bible says, was firmly established, where five years into his reign, there's no disputing. He is the king. And look what it says. As he grew stronger, as the Lord grew him in his strength. Notice what your scriptures say. He abandoned the law of God. Now, isn't that something else? I want you to Pay close attention to this. In chapter 10, he abandoned wise counsel. Do you know what the next step was? Chapter 12, verse 1, he abandoned the law of God. Look at verse 6. The Bible says he abandoned God altogether. And God says, verses 6 and 7, because you've abandoned me, I've abandoned you. Do you see the course that Rehoboam was on? When you begin to abandon good, godly, and wise counsel, do you know what your next step is? You're going to begin to abandon the Word of God. And do you know what happens when you abandon the Word of God? You've essentially abandoned God Himself. If you're going to take notes today, I want you to note this about abandoning the law of God. I want us to talk about this because many of us right now, we are in this situation Many of us, we, we relied so heavy on the Lord and we prayed so strongly to God and we asked God to bless our future and we asked God to bless our marriage. We asked God to bless our career. We asked God for all of these things and now you fast forward and God has strengthened us and God has helped us and God has increased us and now where are we spiritually with the Lord? We've forgotten Him. 
Isn't that true of so many lives? Is it true today of your life? That the more God has blessed your life, the farther away you have drifted from God. The more God has answered your prayers, the more you've abandoned him. Friends, there is a danger to success. And every one of us have the potential to follow that dangerous path. Let me tell you, God wants to bless your life. Do you believe that? He does. But can you handle those blessings? I don't want God. Listen, David said it so well. David said, don't make me. Listen to this prayer David prayed. I wish I had looked up the reference for you. You can look it up. You'll you'll find it. I promise. (laughs) David said, don't let me be so poor that I have to steal bread to eat. But listen to what he also says. Don't let me be so rich that I forget my God. There's some truth to that. Lord, don't let me be so well-to-do that I feel like I don't need you. Amen? And how many marriages are here today? And you relied so heavy on the Lord when you started out. But as your careers progress... As your children are growing, you don't pray as a family anymore. How many of you are going into retirement years where you worked so hard all your life, and now, and now, you have the time to serve God like you could. and Now you have the ability to serve God as you've always wanted to. But somewhere along the way, you've abandoned Him. Don't let the blessings of your life separate you from God. That's my point. Don't let the blessings in your life separate you from God. And what did he do specifically? He abandoned the law of God. You know what I think of when I read that? I think of Psalm chapter 1 verse 2. Your law is my delight. Oh, I love that. Do you delight in God's word? Do you delight in the things that God says, in the way that God thinks, in the way that God feels? Is it an absolute delight to you? And David says, not only do I delight in the law of God, it's in your law that I meditate day and night. And then I'll be like a tree planted by the rivers. What a blessing. What a, what a word picture. No, I, I, don't, I don't want the, the blessings of God to separate me from God. I don't want to abandon his law. And listen, I've got a specific word for many listening today. Because in our culture, we put God in these little compartments and we, we, we got God in this very nice, in this very squared compartment where he fits on a Sunday morning or he fits in times that I need something or he fits in, in maybe just times that I pray about something. And God is in this nice little compartment and then I've got the rest of all of my life that's mine to live. And I'm okay because I got God in this box right here. He fits nicely right here. 
But I want you to understand this. And those of you taking notes, I even want you to note this. God and his word are inseparable. And I want you to hear my heart today, my precious friends. Oh, I want you to hear my pastoral heart today. Some of you think you're okay with God because you pray a little bit before you go to bed. Some of you think you're okay with God because when you find yourself in trouble, you throw up a Hail Mary prayer. Some of you think that you're okay with God today because you got him in this nice and tight and fixed little compartment. But your life is absolutely contrary to the word of God. Friends, you're not right with God today. You're not okay with God. Because if your life is contrary to the word of God, then my friends, you've abandoned God himself. Because God and his word are inseparable. I know a man right now. I know a man right now who... If you ask him if he's right with the Lord, he'll say absolutely. And do you know why he'll say absolutely? Because he reads his Bible every single day of his life. But he treats his wife horribly. Is that man right with God? See, my precious friends. Oh, hear my heart today. Hear my heart. Some of you have the wrong perception. You think being right with God is checking off a few boxes. No. God doesn't want you to simply do right things. He wants you to be the right kind of person. Our faith, our Christianity is not about doing things. It's about being the right kind of person. My friend who I pray for so often. Oh, he can read the Bible every single day. But see, that same Bible that he reads is the same Bible that says, if you are harsh to your wife, God won't even hear your prayers. Maybe he just hadn't got that far yet. Maybe he'll come to it. But see, when God weighs him, when God weighs him, Is God going to weigh the fact that he reads his Bible every day? No, that's checking a box. That's a routine. That's doing the right things. Or is God going to weigh how he treats his wife? Am I making sense today? Sometimes in our church cultures, just like Israel focused on the outward of Saul, we focus on the outward too. Oh, I don't do this. Oh, I don't do that. Oh, I've cut that out. Oh, I don't do this. But is that what God is truly measuring? No. He's measuring the inside. He's measuring who you are as a person. Could it be that the greater God has blessed you, the further you are away from God today? I don't want that to be my testimony. I don't want that to be my experience. So Rehoboam, he, he's abandoned the law of God. He's abandoned it. He's walked away from it. He's left it. You know, that makes me think in Revelation 2 with the church of Ephesus. You know, we often misquote that verse. We say that, uh, you know, God's, God told the church that they lost their first love. You know, that's not what the Bible says at all. It doesn't say that they lost their first love. It says they left 
their first love. They abandoned it. They walked away from it. I counsel so many marriages where someone, Satan has thrown them a curveball. Oh, he'll throw them a slider and they're swinging and striking out. And somebody will tell me I've fallen out of love. Oh, I've lost my love for her. Oh, I don't love him anymore. I've, I've lost that. No, you don't lose it. You leave it. You abandon it. You abandon it. Friends, I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you in all that God has given you, in all that God has blessed you with, in all that God has strengthened you. Is God the center of everything? Is he the center of your marriage? Is he the center of your relationships? Is he the center of your friendships? Is he the center of your decisions and your choices? Is Christ the center? If not, you're drifting. Let's heed the word of God today. Let's pay close attention to the word today. So verse 1, he abandons it. Now look at verse 5. So the prophet is going to come back. Now, there's some trouble brewing. There's a king in Egypt that is raised up named Shishak. Oh, there'd be another good name. <laughs> See a little kindergartner? Shishak. <laughs> I don't know. When I was a kid, people at my church called me Shadrach. Chadrach. Chadrach is what they called me. Anyways, you'd have to know that story, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anyway. And this king named Shishak is going to come against him. And <coughs> he far outnumbers the people of Judah. And the prophet tells him, beginning in verse 5 and 6 and 7, listen, you've abandoned God. You've forsaken him. You're in trouble now. And I want you to look at verse 6. I want you to look what the people do. The people go, God is right. They humbled themselves. They repented. They humbled themselves. Oh, isn't that fascinating? But I want you to pay attention to this. I want you to skip down to verse 14. Here is the summary of Rehoboam's life. I cannot think of a sadder commentary for the grandson of the man who is after God's own heart. I cannot think of a sadder commentary than the grand, for, the, for the grandson of King David. I can't think of a sadder commentary. Verse 14. He did what was evil. And he did not set his heart to follow God. Friends, that tells us everything about Rehoboam. Let me ask you a question today. What if your life's summary, God wrote it in one verse? What would it say? What would be said about you? See, you measure yourself by your retirement. You measure yourself by your net worth. You measure yourself by what you've accomplished. You measure yourself by what you've gained in this world or what you've lost in this world. But how is God measuring you? What did I say in the beginning? Kings is about 
the historical perspective. But what is Chronicles? It's God's perspective. And what does God say about him? He did what was evil and he did not set his heart to follow God. Could that easily be said of you today? That in all of your pursuits, in all of your ambition, in all of your quest for significance and your quest for happiness and your quest for the American dream, could it be said of you that you did not set your heart to follow God? What a warning for this culture, for this day. Lastly, I want to ask and answer this question. Then how do we set our hearts to follow God? Now, see, the people did it in chapter 11, verse 16. The people set their hearts to follow God. God said, don't attack your relatives in the north. They said, okay, God, we won't do it. The Levites came down, and they set their heart that they're going to follow God. But then, five years later, as God prospered the nation, five years later, as God blessed them, what happened? They abandoned the law of God. Friends, are we doing the same? Do we love God in one compartment, but then completely deny Him with our lifestyle in our other areas of life? Does our lack of prayer abandon the law of God? Does our lack of spiritual fervor abandon the law of God? Have we, are, we, are we drifting? And then in verse 14, listen, the people came back to God, but what's it say of their leader? No, he did what was evil. And he never set his heart to follow God. How do you do that? Well, let me just, let me leave you with this. Today, if you say, Chad, I have drifted. And I know it. I know it. God's given me the very things I've prayed for. I've never been further away from him than what I am right now. God's given me everything I want in life, but here I am wanting more. What do you do? Well, you know what we've seen, the thread through these chapters? You humble yourself. Let me tell you, you want to see what God's drawn to? You want to see what he's attracted to? Humility. And I want to leave you with this question today. In verse 6, they tell God, you're right. You're right. We've abandoned you. And we're going to return to you. I want to leave you with this question. What would your marriage look like? What would your work life look like? What would all of the big areas of your life, all these things that matter to you, all these things you pray about, what would your parenting look like? What would your retirement look like? What would your dating look like? What would your choice of school look like if you humbled yourself and you said, God is right and I've been I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to return to him. Friends, I'm not asking, are you in some gross 
negligent sin today. I'm just asking this. How you, are you drifting? Are you drifting? And all of a sudden, God feels like he's a thousand miles away. God hasn't moved. We have. Why don't you come back to him today? You say, Chad, how do I do that? Humble yourself. Get back to his word. Because God and the word of God are inseparable. And today, if your choices, if your decisions, if your habits, if your lifestyle, if your thinking is contrary to the word of God, then friends, you've abandoned God. Come home today. Come back to him today. If you enjoy the daily broadcast of Awaken to Grace, then I want to invite you to subscribe to our podcast. You can get our podcast wherever you get your favorite shows. Simply search Awaken to Grace Weekly Sermons.